Porn Free Radio, episode 99. Today's episode is sponsored by Rev Group Coaching. We have new groups forming in January, but this is the last week that you can apply and register. It's December 26th when I'm publishing this episode, and at the end of the week, we'll close registration for this session of Rev Group Coaching. To get information and to apply, go to pornfreeradio.com slash REV. That's pornfreeradio.com slash REV. Get all the information there and start your 2017 in a strong support group with like-minded men. And hey, I'll be there too. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to Porn Free Radio. This is the podcast where motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn, get hope, and take action. Even if you feel lost right now or out of control, you can recover and live a meaningful life, free from shame and full of love. Now here's your host, coach and podcaster, Matt Dobschutz. Hey, hey, welcome back to Porn Free Radio. I hope you're having a great holiday season. This episode is launching on December 26th, so we're right in the middle of holiday week in the United States. Yeah, I mean, 2016 has just flown by. I feel like I just started 2016 and it's over. And so... Uh, It's pretty crazy. Today's episode, we're going to answer more of your questions. We're going to open up the Porn Free Radio mailbox, which has been stuffed over the last few months. And I'm going to be answering a ton of questions. Questions like, how do you address incognito mode within browsers? There's a question about, I'm a big sports fan. And when my team loses, I relapse. What do I do? My accountability partner is not being honest. How did your wife get past the betrayal? How do I start to feel again? So great questions. We'll dig into all of those in in this episode. Uh, Before I do, I want to say this is the last week that you can take advantage of a special offer for Your Porn Free Playbook. Your Porn Free Playbook is my five-day course for building a strong recovery plan. Now, in episode 96, I gave you a way to save $96 off the cost of your porn-free playbook. So I wanted to give you that URL again. If you go to pornfreeradio.com slash take96, that's pornfreeradio.com slash T-A-K-E 96, you can save $96 off the cost of your porn-free playbook. So take advantage of that offer. It's good until January 2nd. And this course will be a great way to set up your plan for 2017. And I highly recommend it. So go to pornfreeradio.com slash take 96 and do it before next Monday, January 2nd. All right, let's get into some of these letters. The first one comes from Karen. Thank you, Matt, for this authentic, real conversation about porn and masturbation. I had caught my boyfriend pretty early on in our relationship with porn all over his computer, uh, and I'm sure you can imagine how this story goes. We ended up in couples therapy, uh, yet years later, I'm still struggling. He's had a hard time talking about porn and sex. I'm learning a lot uh, from your podcast. It's very helpful. And what is really helpful is you seem to be so open and really know yourself and let your wife in on everything. I still feel in the dark about a lot of things. He said he was not addicted, yet because of his unwillingness to be open with me, I have my doubts. Your podcasts have said so much light and understanding for me. I'm feeling more compassionate. Keep up the great podcast. I've rated it five stars. Thanks from the girlfriend. <laughs> uh, we are together now eight years. Keep them coming, Karen. Karen, thanks so much for writing, and I really want to encourage you. You know, I, I appreciate that the fact that you're investing time uh, to listen uh, to help your boyfriend, to really get more understanding around what what drives this addiction. And I think ultimately that will serve him well, and I hope that he presses in and does the things he needs to do to take responsibility uh, for the addiction. And... Um, I know from another letter that you said that, you know, at some point growing up, you just sort of got this idea that you just had to deal with this, that guys were just going to look at porn and that's kind of how it was. 
but something didn't feel right to you. It didn't feel right in your heart that you had to accept that. And you don't have to accept that. And so I think that every woman, every partner, every girlfriend deserves to be in a relationship that's porn free. Now, that's the way I think. I, I don't think porn helps relationships. I think it actually d- disrupts intimacy and it, and it, and it clouds uh, connection. And, um, and for a lot of guys, it leads to serious addiction. So I don't think it's a, a part of a healthy relationship. And so I'm, you know, I'm happy to support you in any way that I can help and answer questions. I, I'd love to. So Karen, thanks for listening. Thanks for your review on iTunes. I remember seeing it a couple months ago. And, um, and for other women out there who are listening to get information, to get to learn how to support their husbands, their partners, uh, their boyfriends, well, I really commend you. Thank you for taking the time to listen and taking the time to really care and go past just the, the repulsion to pornography or the reaction or even the hurt that it's caused and really start to ask deeper questions like, why is this happening and what's going on and, and how can you help uh, the men in your life? So totally thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you, Karen, for writing. Here's another one. This is one of my triggers, and it could affect many people. Jeremy writes that this never occurred to me until about 15 minutes ago when I started feeling really worked up. I'm triggered by a messy room or a messy space. Just thought you might think this sharing was interesting. Well, I do think it's interesting. And I think we discount how much of an impact our environment has on our addiction. That if we're living in chaos, if we're living in just a space that is cluttered or a space that doesn't have reminders of the things that we want in life, um, healthy recovery, that it is easy to want to escape from that. And, you know, if you have a messy desktop and a messy literal desktop on your computer or figurative desktop on your computer, um, I could see where opening a browser window and And just getting focused on porn is actually somewhat of an escape from the chaos. I mean, I know that guys talk a lot about struggling with procrastination, struggling with distraction, with getting work done. And it makes sense that porn would kind of cut through some of that that feeling of chaos or clutter and maybe feel a little calming, maybe feel like focus. And, uh, and we know that it doesn't ultimately lead to that. It actually keeps us unfocused and clouded and, and distracted. But in that moment, I could see that. And I've heard of guys, you know, putting, uh, reminders of recovery on their window or, or on their mirror. Um, I've heard of guys putting religious symbols on their computers, things like that to remind them of, of reality, to, to root them in, to, in healthy recovery. So, Jeremy, I do think a messy room could be a a trigger. And uh, thanks for sharing that. I'm sure other guys would relate to that. You know, so often when we talk about triggers, we're so narrow. It's like the hot girl on the beach or the, you know, the, the clickbait that we see at the bottom of a Facebook article. That's what we think of as a trigger. But but a lot of times our environment, our feelings, our emotions, those are the things that are driving us uh, to want to escape. And so a cluttered space obviously could be that. So thanks for sharing, Jeremy. Okay, I want to read an update from Patrick. In episode 98, I read a letter from Patrick. It started by him saying that he was a sex addict and an intimacy anorexic. And he was talking about some struggles in his marriage. And so he wrote me this note. Matt, just wanted to let you know, I heard you read my last email on this week's podcast. I thought I should send you a brief update. Since I wrote to you, things have gotten much better with my marriage. I've continued to press into vulnerability and being open with my wife. This change in me has led to my wife feeling more emotionally secure, and we've grown much closer together. Recovery is going well for me, and I just finished presenting my step three and am nine months sober now. As an aside, I understand there's some debate regarding the efficacy of 12-step programs. My thought is this. If it helps me to understand more about myself, it can only help me in my journey and will not hurt me. 
I continue to listen to your podcast weekly and find value in each episode. Thank you for what you're doing. Sincerely, Patrick. Well, this is a great update, Patrick. And I love a couple of the things that you said that things have gotten better in your marriage, partly because you pressed into vulnerability with your wife and the change in you made her feel more secure. So, you know, I talked last week in last week's episode when I was talking about your letter about the two tracks, you know, your recovery track and your marriage track. There are things you can do in recovery that help make your wife feel safer. Uh, by being honest, by being open. You know, even my wife talked about, you know, when I followed through on some consequences, it actually made her feel like I was taking recovery serious and was really committed to this. So what you do in recovery actually has an ability to make your wife feel more secure. And so the the, the vulnerability, the things you're doing, and taking action and actually can make her feel more emotionally secure. And so the result of that is you're closer together. And I think that's great. So I'm, I'm glad that recovery is going well and that some of the things you're doing to take responsibility are actually uh, making your wife feel safer, which is awesome. And that's a lot better than, than looking at a, a marriage that's falling apart. That's a much more hopeful uh, story. And, um, And hey, congratulations on getting through step three and nine months of sobriety is awesome too. I think uh, that 12-step programs are very effective tools and would be beneficial to most guys who listen to Porn for Radio. Now, I did have Craig Perra on uh, last year and we were going to have a little debate about uh, the value of 12-step and we never really got into it the way I wanted to. And, And so... I probably am due to do another episode, and but I would say I'm very supportive of 12 Steps. I'm actually a member of one of the fellowships, which I'm not going to mention partly because I want to protect anonymity, not only mine, but I'm not a spokesman for any one group, uh, nor, should I, nor should I be. Um, because when you go to 12 Steps, one of the key things is that uh, no member is more important than another member, and everyone's going for the same reason. And so 12-step can be a really great place for you, and I'm happy that you're getting something out of it, and, and you're absolutely right. If it helps you to understand uh, your addiction and it helps in your journey, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely not going to hurt you. It's, it's not going to hurt any guy, I don't think. Um, and if you're really committed and, and visit, visit more than one group, you don't have to go to just one group. I, sometimes guys go to one group, it's kind of a lame group or, you know, whatever. It was a bad night and you make all your, you make all your judgments and, and stuff about that one meeting. Don't let one meeting or one group define the fact that this isn't a good tool for you. I, I would really recommend visiting, you know, five or six meetings and uh, seeing if there's one that connects with you if you're interested. So, Patrick, keep up the great work. And, boy, I'm so excited to get this update from you. All right, let's get into some questions. Robert writes, how do you address incognito mode within browsers? Now, incognito mode is a way that you can surf privately. It, It actually deletes your history as you go, and it kind of covers your tracks and doesn't keep any cookies and disables some plugins and things like that. So how do you deal with it? It's super simple. Your computer needs a filter or a tracking system on it. Meaning just because you disable cookies and history, your requests that are going out to the internet are coming in and out of your computer. And so a filter like Canine or Covenant Eyes or a tracker like Accountable to You will still be tracking the activity, like the basically the ingoing and outgoing requests. So you just need a filter uh, in place. And a deeper level is incognito is particularly dangerous if you're if you're an addict and you're constantly using it to hide your tracks. I would definitely put as a part of your plan that you're you're dedicated or committed to not using incognito mode. 
before there was incognito mode, you know, my wife could check the history. Now, if she came home and there was an empty history, that was a problem. It was just as bad as if there was a history with a lot of porn in it because she knew that the history had been deleted. So using incognito mode needs to be attacked in a couple ways. You need a filter, something that's potentially going to prevent porn or track where you're going anyway. And the second thing is, is I think it needs to be part of your plan that you're dedicated to not using it. Part of getting free from pornography is coming out of this hiding and lying uh, posture. And so incognito mode should have no part of your life. So I hope that answers your question. All right, let's get into another one. Ray writes, I'm a big sports fan and I get so invested in my teams and certain players. When they win, I'm riding high and feel great. When they lose or lose on some dumb play or even worse, in a heartbreak fashion, all these negative emotions come up and I turn to masturbating to self-soothe. I think my self-esteem is tied to my teams. So as they go, I go, which is a stressful and frustrating way to live. Matt, I know how busy you are and I'm grateful for the podcast. I'd love to know what would be your advice on being a sports fan and dealing with negative emotions when your team loses. Thanks so much from Ray. Ray, this is a great question. And the first thing I'm going to say is you're totally uh, aware of what's going on. You're feeling these negative emotions and you're going to self-soothing. You're going to masturbation, potentially pornography. And so knowing that's an awareness, knowing that potentially your team losing is a trigger, an emotional trigger for you, as we like to say, that's the first thing you need to know. I mean, whenever you create a plan, whenever you work on an act of commitment, the first thing you need to identify is what is the emotional trigger? What is the thing going on? Now, you mentioned that as your team goes, you go, like your self-esteem is tied up into Uh, the sports team. And there could be a mistaken belief in there. And I I don't quite know what it would be, but it's almost like your identity is connected to it. And there's potentially a mistaken belief uh, that might be worth looking at. But knowing that this is happening is is the first, first step. Now, the second thing I want you to know is you're not the first guy to tell me this. I've actually been told probably by about a half a dozen guys that this is a thing. And I know myself, you know, 2003, when the Cubs lost the NLCS in heartbreaking fashion, I mean, uh, documentary-worthy fashion. I mean, they made a documentary, ESPN did, on this. I mean, that's how bad it was. I totally remember those pretty dark days after they lost. And, I mean, there's been some other heartbreakers in my sports fandom. I mean, I'm a Bears fan. Uh, We've lost our share. And... um, it's totally something that happens. But like anything, when, when you start to become aware of a pattern, you can start to make choices. So some choices that you might start thinking about is how and when do you watch games? Do you always watch games live? Uh, do you watch games alone? Are there things you can do with your in your environment or with who you watch to basically... Uh, take some of the sting out of these negative emotions. What do you do right after a game? Are you alone uh, or are you with people? What kind of self-care could you do in the day after a bad loss so that you acknowledge that you're feeling bad about it, but you do something that actually makes yourself feel better? Now, that might seem kind of silly, like, really, you're going to do self-care after a bad loss? Well, hey, we're passionate people. You know, we get invested. I'm not going to tell you not to be a fan. But be a fan like an adult. You know, I think one thing that uh, one thing that is is interesting is, you know, kids take losses really hard. And kids take, you know, get excited by wins. And if you were coaching a, a, a little league team and... Uh, this happened to my this happened to my son. He was in the little league playoffs, and they lost their last game five to four. And it was a little bit of a heartbreaker. Well, I was an adult, so I knew all the great things they had done over the season. I was proud of him for how he played. 
But, you know, my little guy took it really hard. And I think one of the things about sports is it taps into this childlike part of us. So be careful that the child part of you isn't um, being overwhelmed by these feelings. Try to come at it from more of an adult perspective. You know, if the Bulls lose, Ray, it's not your fault. (laughs) It's not about you. You know, have an adult perspective. You know, a lot of times, and that's one thing that happens in life is when we have something nostalgic like sports that we're really into, it's this child part of us that's engaged. So the adult part of you has to step up in a loss and say, hey, what can I do to take responsibility here so that we don't uh, we don't go to the self-soothing activities? We don't go to the survival things like going to porn. We don't go to the addictions. You know, how can the adult step in and and steer the ship? So I hope that makes sense. That's kind of getting deep. That is much deeper than I expected. But I think that's part of it. I think that the nostalgia and the child part of us that's a fan um, is, is is almost like childlike emotion gets is easily swayed. That's kind of the way you've got to look at it. Now, if you're continuing to relapse like every time, like, and you're relapsing after victories and wins, then you have to ask yourself, is there something about sports that's allowing you uh, to go to porn? Like it's it's enabling you. And if that's the case, maybe you need to make that part of your consequence. I know that one of the clients I worked with uh, this past year, he had a consequence of no football for four months, four weeks if he acted out. Because he knew that he was really invested and made football a consequence to acting out. And so maybe there's a piece where you need to take a break or abstain until you can deal with it like an adult. Because I agree, it's a stressful and frustrating way to live when your emotions are tossed and turned depending on how good your team plays. It's great when you're winning, but it sucks when you lose. So, all right, Ray, thanks for the email. Here's an email from Brittany. I want to tell you how happy I am that my husband found your podcast. He's had trouble with porn the entire span of our relationship, 20 years. I caught him viewing it again two weeks ago, and since then, he's been doing all he can to stay away from it. My question for you is, how did your wife get past the betrayal? I'm struggling. We've gone through the cycle of promises, lies, hiding, and then being found out more times than I can count. He's never come clean on his own and has even always denied everything when confronted. Only when I've had proof does he admit looking at porn. This time around, he has gotten some help. Your podcast has been very helpful. We listen to each episode and then talk about it at night. We're up to number 15, I think. He's also meeting with our pastor weekly and has told his mom and stepdad about his addiction. While I'm happy he's taking steps, I still can't seem to let go of the anger and hurt, and I'm waiting for him to fail. And I don't fully trust that if he slips up, he'll tell me. I'm just curious how other wives have gone through this. Thanks for providing such amazing support and practical advice on the issue of porn addiction. Well, Brittany, obviously the beginning of your husband dealing with this has been a little rocky. You know, if he's just being caught and he's lying, you know, we're going to want to lie and hide. That's one thing that we want to do. And so the fact that some of those early encounters where you caught him or had to have the evidence or he, you know, was was the thing that was the catalyst for him to change. That's tough. It's a lot easier when a guy is taking responsibility. It's not, you still feel the betrayal feelings, but there's a part of you that can relax a little bit and go, hey, I'm hearing everything. I know what's going on. I think the, the idea that you're not knowing or the potential that he would be dishonest is actually adding to uh, the complication of forgiveness and, and, and dealing with the feelings of betrayal. But it sounds like you've turned a corner a little bit. Uh, he's been more open with some other people. You've been listening to the podcast and communicating, talking. The more that he's talking, the more that he's connecting the dots between awareness and the more it's safe for him to talk to you about it, theoretically, the hiding and the lying should diminish because the safer you feel 
that you won't get rejected, that you'll feel loved, even if you have a slip, the more safe you feel, the better it is. So the fact that you're engaging and in this process with your husband and and doing a good job talking and communicating, that actually is a good sign. So how did my wife get over the betrayal? I'm thinking about my wife. Um, here's a couple things. When she saw me working hard, it actually built trust. So for example, doing a consequence after a slip, really following through. That's one thing that did it. I think honesty, as I got better at being honest, even when it was hard honesty, I think that built more trust. I've even you know, had to go back and say I lied about something. And that, even though it sucks and it feels like betrayal, if you, if you are clarifying and continuing to be rigorously honest, it actually builds trust. Another thing is she had a lot of support. She had support from other people outside of me. For every wife who listens, every girlfriend, every partner, you need a support system. You need a really strong support system because your husband or your partner, he is dealing with an addiction. And, you know, there's lots of debate about whether this is addiction or not. But the way that uh, it manifests in a marriage where there's hiding and lying and he's acting out compulsively and he wants to stop, but he doesn't, that type of thing. It, it, if it quacks like a duck and, you know, and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. My point is, is probably there's an addiction element here. And so when you're dealing with someone who has an addiction, who is trying to fight an addiction, you have to look at it a little different. You have to look at it as the lying is just symptomatic of the, the addiction. And so you need support uh, being in a relationship with someone who is struggling with addiction. Don't underestimate that. This isn't just a you figuring out the problem, you and him type of thing. I'm glad that he told his mom and stepdad about it and that he's talking to his pastor. Because the worst situation you could be in is where you're the only person who's his only line of defense for dealing with all these addiction feelings. You know, if you're the only person, then it's just way too much responsibility on you. So be happy that he's taking steps, but start to look for support. And you said you can't let go of the anger and the hurt. I think you need to to really press into that with somebody, whether it's a counselor, uh, whether it's a really good friend, a women's group, someone else at your church. That anger and hurt doesn't go away overnight. I think you need to think of how it hurt you. You might even have to revisit it with him a couple times. When he lies, this is how it makes you feel. This is why it really hurt you. You know, acknowledging how you were hurt. You know, so often in church settings, there's a rush to forgiveness. You know, you bring up something bad that happened and those helpful people in your life immediately say, well, you need to forgive. And they start quoting Bible verses. But I don't think you can fully forgive until you fully feel the the effect of what happened. And you need a place to process and talk about what happened so that you can get clear about what happened. You know, I did an episode really early on, probably in the teens, maybe you just listened to it if you're on episode 15, about, you know, a wife can't fully pardon her husband, meaning you can't fully forgive someone unless you know the extent of everything that happened. So if they're still lying and hiding, then it's really hard to know what the extent of the wounding is, what the extent of the damage is. So you need a place to process all that. Focus on yourself, go in and get that stuff. Continue to keep the communication open, listen to the podcast. I think that's great, Uh, but you need a place for yourself. I've said this over and over and over. You know, I get letters from wives and girlfriends all the time. There's a big focus on the husband and what the husband's doing. But this is a problem that you're really feeling the weight of. And if your husband isn't taking enough action, you need to take action for yourself to get support. So Brittany, hang in there. Thanks for listening. All right. How do I start to feel again? This comes from Jason. Hi, Matt. I'm slowly working through all of your podcasts, currently on episode 24. Not bad for nine days. So we power listen to 24 episodes in nine days. That's awesome. He finds them very useful. I don't agree with everything. 
but most things I do, I'm curious what he doesn't agree with. Um, but I, I, I can put it out there that I, maybe I'm not, I don't know everything correctly. So, um, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I've found that my emotional status, uh, at the moment has been frozen. I'm unable to thaw it out. I don't seem to feel anything at all. Any tips on how to start to feel again? I've spoken to the support group I go to and a bunch of guys have been going through the same thing. Almost no emotions at all. It worries me as my wife and kids look at me and I feel empty. No love or hate, just blackness and nothing. Well, Jason, you're becoming in touch with a big cost of pornography that it numbs us to emotions. And when we're in the midst of it, when we're doing the porn, we don't realize this. But as we come out of it, as we let it go, uh, we realize that we've numbed a lot of those negative emotions. When I was talking to Ray about the, the sports teams, we, we numb those negative emotions. But when we numb negative emotions, it also cuts us off to the good things. So just as you said, you're, not, you're feeling empty. You're not feeling particularly love or hate. You're not feeling any strong emotions. So the way we start to feel again is, first of all, acknowledge that we've been numbing feelings. We've been numbing strong emotions. And I'd start with the emotions that you do feel. So ask yourself, you know, is there a place where I feel angry? Is there a place where I feel rejected? Start naming the emotions. Even if you don't feel them, name the emotions. Okay, in episode 91, I did a whole episode about using this tool called the feeling wheel. So you want to go back and listen to that if you haven't listened to it yet. And what this will help you do is it'll help you map some some feelings, map some feeling words to primary emotions. So for example, maybe... You notice in life you're feeling kind of apathetic, bored, tired, depressed, a little sleepy. Those all map to sadness. Maybe you're feeling frustrated, jealous, irritable, entitled. Those all map to anger. How about confusion or insignificance, uh, feeling embarrassed, insecure? Those all tie into feeling scared. Okay, the feeling wheel will help you identify certain types of feelings and certain types of of things that we could describe that we're actually going through and map it to bigger feelings. Now, why would this be helpful for you, Jason? Well, right now it's real black and white. I'm not feeling anything. But there's probably some of these little emotions that you are feeling. So let's say that you identify that you're feeling some rejection. You press into that and go, okay, why is this affecting me? Why why does rejection affect me? Well, it taps into a mistaken belief that I'm unlovable. It's And that got in there when I was a kid, right? You start unpacking some of these feelings. Uh, here, here's another one. You know, you, you act out with porn and you feel like you deserve it. You want a reward. There's an entitlement. Well, entitlement is tied to anger. So what are you angry about? Well, you're resentful uh, that you're not having as much sex as you want in your in your marriage. You've hit a rough patch with physical intimacy with your wife, for example. And so you're taking things into your own hands out of entitlement. So start mapping your emotions and start figuring out what's going on. And yeah, you're not going to break down in tears right away. But as you start getting in touch with these little emotions and and becoming aware of them, it'll start making it safer to feel bigger feelings. I remember one time when I was early on in recovery, I got a phone call from a guy and he said, how are you doing today? I said, I'm really down. I'm really sad today. And my friend was like, I'm sorry. And he started trying to cheer me up. And I said, no, It's okay that I'm feeling down. I'm feeling down. I'm not looking at porn. And this is a good thing. I never felt down before. I always would go to porn. I'd always be numbing the feelings. 
And so it's actually growth that I feel kind of depressed today. And so I was driving around. I went to a coffee shop. I was doing some self-care. But I was feeling down. And that's okay. So as you press into this, as you map emotions, as you keep starving the impulse to numb and to cover and to hide and to use porn to, to, to not feel the powerful feelings, as you starve that that impulse, as you starve that activity and behavior, uh, you'll start to feel more. It will come with time. But start mapping those emotions and become aware of them. So I hope that helps, Jason. Go back and listen to that episode, episode 91. Okay, Chris writes, Matt, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and have been helped. Two nights ago, I came closer than ever to crossing the line between virtual and the physical. I had a female escort ready, called the hotel and set a time. Thankfully, the fear of the pain that would ensue made me hang up the phone at the last second. I did not act out that night, but the disease will inevitably progress to that point. Maybe it will even be the next relapse. I'm part of SA and seeing a therapist, but fear that I don't see the consequences vividly enough. Do you have any insight regarding the inevitable progression of the disease? I want to be terrified as you were when your wife caught you, but without having to be caught. Thanks. This is interesting. When I was leading groups in my church, I always was really concerned when I saw someone jump from one level to to the next. So for example, let's say that level one is dealing with pornography and doing computer stuff, masturbating, watching porn. Level two would be engaging with someone else. Chat room, cam girl, stripper, you know, those types of things where you're starting, you know, phone sex, where you're starting to actually engage another person. Step three, of course, would be getting together with a prostitute, um, having sex, that type of thing where you're actually uh, going into a sexual addiction type thing. Uh, where it's not just virtual anymore, but there's a real person and it's physical. So it always made me nervous when I was working with a guy who was at level one. You know, he's just struggling with masturbation, just struggling with porn. And then he comes back the next week and goes, oh my God, I uh, uh, went to a strip club and then I did this and then I did this. And it's like, wow, I didn't even see this coming. We were just working with some of the, you know, the porn stuff. I didn't see this big jump. So the fact that you called the escort and you were starting to go down that road, that would be a huge red flag to me that you are in danger, that you're very vulnerable right now. And I'm happy to hear that you're part of SA and that you're seeing a therapist because you need support. And what I'd say is that incident, it's not inevitable that you'll progress to that point. It's not one of these things like it's just gonna, it's bound to happen. It doesn't have to happen. But what that incident tells me is you need to double down your spiritual efforts. You need to double down your commitment to recovery because you're very vulnerable. So if you're in SA, go to more meetings. Start working with a sponsor if you haven't already. Start making phone calls. Like you need to be doing more for recovery than you ever have before if you want to arrest that that potential progression Uh, because you're right on the edge. I think untended, if you don't do anything different than what you're doing right now, you're right, it will be inevitable. But there's a lot of difference between if you start taking action now and start, start using that, calling that escort as a... Uh, as a wake-up call, start doubling down your effort. When you start getting, when you start getting close to relapse, that's when you need to invest more. I had a friend of mine in twelve-step, and she said, "You know, Matt, I'm not great at abstinence. I'm not perfect, but you know what? I'm really good at not relapsing. And it's because anytime she got close to the edge, she'd double down her effort. Let's say she was calling people once a day, she'd start calling people twice a day. Let's say she was going to two meetings a week." She'd start going to four meetings a week. So Chris, do whatever you can to multiply your support, your investment to recovery. Just start doing more. Because, yeah, you're in a dangerous position. You know, I don't talk about this being a disease. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the way that 12-step usually refers to it. I really do think 
that it is like a disease in the sense of if you're doing the things you need to do to do maintenance and to keep yourself healthy, you can stay recovered. But if you don't do the things that keep you in recovery, then you will get sicker. It will lead uh, down this road. Um, So I don't always use that metaphor, but that metaphor works in this case. Uh, So Chris, hang in there and and, uh, keep pressing in. All right, let's go to another question. This comes from John. First off, I want to thank you for taking on the task of creating and maintaining PFR. I've been in and out of recovery for three and a half years, attending meetings for six months here now, and I've been continually attending Celebrate Recovery now for nine months for porn and alcohol addiction. I have accountability partners whom I contact daily to check in, but when the big moment happens and a choice to pick up the phone or ignore my recovery plan uh, comes, I usually pick the latter. Do you have any advice on me how to pick up the phone? I also have two sponsors in my time in recovery. However, both sponsors were very laid back and did not reach out to me, nor did they hold me accountable to call them. Thanks for any advice you can give. Please feel free to be frank. All right, John, I'm going to let you have it here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to hold back because I hold back a lot on PFR. <laughs> All right. Here's a couple of ideas. A favorite quote of mine. It's a, it's like one of these Chinese proverbs that's, that's not uh, attributed to anybody in particular. It goes like this. He who sweats more in peacetime bleeds less in times of war. So what does this mean? This means that if you put effort in when you're doing well to make phone calls, for example, if you're calling every day, even if you're having good days, when you have a bad day, that habit, you're able to access it because you're used to calling and checking in. It's when you stop calling regularly in the good times that when the bad times come, it is easy to choose the latter and not call. So one of the first things I'd say is you need to take the responsibility of connecting and calling on a regular basis, regardless of how you're doing status-wise, you know, whether you're on the edge or not. Number two, you want an accountability partner who is engaged with you. Now, they don't have to always call you, but an accountability partner who doesn't return your phone calls, doesn't reply to your texts, goes days without chatting with you, that's a bad accountability partner. So you need to keep finding people in your support system who do have a sense of urgency when you call, are available, are accessible. Now, I think it's okay to talk to your accountability partners about expectations. I tend to think that where you can take responsibility, you're better off. If you say, hey, I'm going to call you on Sunday night. Is Sunday night at nine a good night for you to talk, a good time for you to talk? I think that's a better way to take responsibility than to say to your accountability partner, boy, I sure wish you'd call more or I sure wish you'd check in on me. Uh, That's passive. Active is, are you available at nine o'clock on Sunday nights to take a short call from me? I'll take the action to call you. You don't have to worry about it remembering. I'll do it. Accountability partner, it's a lot easier to say yes to something like that. When it's open-ended, I had a guy the other day say to me, can you text me about this? And I was just thinking, I'm never going to remember to text him about this. But if he texts me and follows through, like if he if he takes an action to do something by Friday and lets me know through text, well, I can definitely reply and I can ask him about it the next time we talk. Look for ways to take responsibility. Now, if you're just not getting the traction with these guys, Look for another accountability partner. Look for someone who does take some action. I've had accountability partners who called me or who pursued me a little bit to get together. That really helped, especially when I was struggling at the beginning. You know, when you're at the beginning and you're trying to put things together, someone who takes a little bit of action and reaches out to you actually can be really helpful. 
Take as much responsibility as you can, but don't be afraid to ask for what you need. All right, let's get to our last question. This question comes from Derek. He's got a lot of details in here, and so I don't want to I don't want to share all the details just because I want to answer the the general part of his question um, without getting into the specifics. So let me let me just dig into it a little bit. He he writes, been listening to your podcast for a year. Love it. I appreciate all you do. It helps me to keep growing and pushing forward as I'm getting to three years of sobriety and I don't want to grow stagnant. He writes that recently a guy asked him to be his accountability partner a few months ago when he confessed to relapsing back to porn. But as Derek was working with this guy, he realized um, that his accountability partner was not being honest, that there was a a piece to uh, the confession that was missed and there were some things that uh, the the partner was not taking responsibility for. Derek writes, so now I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I want to be there for him and help him out as much as I can, but I feel that our accountability relationship and his progress won't really progress until all the secrets are out and we can be open about where we are at together. I'm open to any suggestions or feedback you may have given this situation. So the idea is, what do you do when your accountability partner is not being completely honest? Here's what I'd say, Derek. First of all, you've been at this for three years. You're coming close to three years of sobriety, which is amazing. You're getting together with this other guy who's right at the beginning, literally just relapsed, struggling with being honest. So you are really in a position of, you're not partners, You're not equals or peers in this case. You're someone who has some prolonged recovery and has grown a lot. He's someone who's just coming out of relapse. So the first idea that you need to think of is you guys aren't partners. This isn't you share a little, he shares a little. This is you're basically the strong one and you're helping him. Think of yourself more like a sponsor, right? Sponsor shares a little bit about his life, but more so he's available to help the guy, the new guy struggling. So that's the first thing. Second thing is you have to ask yourself as a sponsor, what do you want to put up with? Do you want to be there for him and just let him, give him a big net, kind of give him a little, give him a lot of rope? Or do you want to get in his face and kind of say, you know, I don't want to work with you if you're not completely honest. You have to kind of figure out where you want to be on that. And because you know this guy and you have a relationship, you might say, hey, I'm just going to be there for him. I'm going to pick up the phone when he calls and I'm going to support him. Or I'm going to support his first identified goal. He's coming to you about this porn And that's what he wants to work on. And there's other stuff that you know about that he hasn't really dealt with. And he's not dealing with it right now. And maybe you just say, okay, I'm going to help him with the porn. Feel free to reevaluate. If it keeps going along and you see a pattern of dishonesty, you see a pattern of disconnection, bring it up. Say, hey, I noticed you're not being totally honest about this. I noticed you haven't called in a few weeks. Do you still want my help? Ask for commitment. Ask for him to reaffirm commitment. And don't feel like you're tied to him. You know, if he doesn't want to work on it, keep the door open. But say, hey, I don't think this is working. I don't think you're really calling. I don't think you want to do this. This isn't about judging you. It's just talking about what's happening. Ask yourself, do you want to just be available for him? And, you know, guys who are struggling with relapse and getting honest, they need people there for them too. If we had it all together, if we could do recovery in a you know really perfect way, we would have done it already. It's messy at the beginning. So you got to ask yourself, how much mess can you put up with? And as I said before, you're not peers. You're not partners. You need to be getting your support from people in your life who are at your level or higher than you, who you're going to for support. And think of this guy as a project. And hey, when he comes around and pulls it all together, it'll be great. 
But even then, you're still going to be more like a sponsor to them than a peer. It's very rare that you help someone and then they get so strong that they are completely supportive of you. It's always going to be a little bit of a sponsor-sponsee relationship with you and this guy. So just be okay with that. It's okay to have a few guys that you're helping, a few guys that you're getting help from, a few peers. It's okay to have those different types of relationships. And hey, we need those types of things. So Derek, I hope that helps. And keep me informed. Keep me updated. All right. If you want to send me a letter, send it to Matt at PornFreeRadio.com. That's Matt at PornFreeRadio.com. If you have a question or you want to share a success or a a victory story, feel free to send it to me. Uh, Tell me if there's anything I need to keep private. Sometimes it's hard to navigate some of these letters with all the details. Uh, So tell me if there's anything you need to keep private. And uh, just so you know, I'm the only one who checks this mailbox. In the last two weeks, I've read 25 letters so that you can get an idea of how how much mail I'm getting. So be patient, and I hope to get to some more uh, letter shows in the future. And, um, and I try to answer when I can. Email me, matt at pornfreeradio.com. Well, that's about the end of this episode. Next week's episode will be episode 100. And once again, get your porn-free playbook at $96 off for the new year. That's pornfreeradio.com slash take96, pornfreeradio.com slash take96. To take advantage of that offer, save $96 and build a new plan for 2017. You can do it this week. Hey, a lot of downtime, a lot of off time. Get in there, do that course, get that plan in place before January 1st. All right, wouldn't that be great? Start the year off right. All right, guys, this week, take hope and take action. Be good. Thanks for listening to Porn Free Radio at pornfreeradio.com. To work with Matt one-on-one, go to pornfreeradio.com forward slash coaching and help us get the word out by subscribing to Porn Free Radio in iTunes and leaving a rating and review.